Isaiah 9, 2 reads, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. That infers that to them who needed it most, the light came. They that dwelled in darkness have found the light. Total darkness is something most of us don't experience unless we lose our eyesight. In the depths of Carlsbad Caverns, you take a tour there to see the beauty of those caverns, and way down deep, under all those hundreds of feet of limestone, they turn the switch and the lights go out. And they tell you that you are now, for the first time in your life, perhaps experiencing total darkness. And it is dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Then they light a match. And that match, amazingly, lightens the whole cavern round about you. You can see the hordes of people are with you on that tour. The little match is like magic because the darkness was so intense. If I lit a match today in front of you in this lighted auditorium, you could barely see the glow of it from where you are because there's enough light here to cause that to be insignificant. But where the need was the greatest, the light shone, and the need being the greatest was in the heart of men. The animals didn't need it. They did what God made them to do. The birds fly, the fish swim. But man, very contrary, exercised his free will and became a fallen being, became depraved and lost. What had been light before to him now is darkness. What looked all so natural and so right before now becomes something he'd rather not do. He'd rather be contrary. He'd rather exercise himself in being obstinate or being rebellious. But to such as that, and that includes all of us, came this, this light. It would need not be that way. We need, need not wander around in uncertainty, wondering what we can try next. The last thing didn't satisfy us, so let me find something else. What a rabbit trail that is. Those who try it the hardest and persevere in it the longest, what do they say? Of no avail, vanity, vexation of spirit, no satisfaction. Why? Darkness. They say, oh, I'm looking for something exciting. What's exciting without light? How do we get along without the sun? It would be death to grow tomatoes in Portland, Oregon, and these little gardens we have around our houses. Where do you plant the tomatoes? You don't have much place to plant them, so, oh, I can crowd in some here on the south side of the house. Who ever heard of anyone planting tomatoes on the north side? Maybe they did, but the story would be pity, wouldn't it? You have to have light and warmth. And if you paint the house white and put the tomatoes up close to the wall on the south side, 
you'll find that they grow because the light is concentrated there against the white wall. The warmth of that house and the warmth of the sun coming in will be taken advantage of and you'll perchance have a good chance to grow that fruit that you look for. Light, something we all take for granted so easily. But light is something we'll have to answer for. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the time of Moses, when he was out in that desert, watching his father-in-law's sheep, a bush began to burn. There'd be light there. It attracted his attention. He may have not been close enough to have seen, to have felt the heat of it, but he said, I'm going to draw aside and see what this is. He was attracted by the light of a fire burning in a bush. The closer he came, the more aware he was that this is something different. This isn't someone burning brush. A living tree. A tree ablaze with fire. He could see the light of that. He drew nigh to it, and God spoke to him and said, Take off your shoes. You're, living, you're standing on holy ground. This is an experience that we have in this modern day that we live in also. Sometimes you can come to something that will literally amaze you, and you'll be aware of the fact, this is God. I've seen the acts of the Lord. I've felt the power of His presence. I've known the nearness of His Spirit and His dealing with people. I've observed it. You have that story, so do I. Don't pass it by. Let that light that God's given you be something you cherish and benefit by. You're accountable for it. Why not make it to your credit? We're accountable for the light that we have. Moses saw the bush. You didn't see it. I didn't. Who could answer for that light but Moses? No one. Who else saw it? Moses alone. Who else had the same experience you have? No one. Who's answerable for it? You are. Who else can vouch for it? Perhaps no one. Who knows the details of it? Maybe none. But one thing is sure, the light has shone to people in darkness. You say, oh, but I'm not in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He went ahead to say, they that follow me walk not in darkness, but in the light. We tell whether or not we are in darkness or not by whether we walk in the light or no. I am the light of the world. He that follows me walketh not in darkness, but in light. God's Son said this, so the light uh, now is Jesus Christ revealed in the Word. Manifested in the flesh, seen of angels, finally taken into glory, ascended into heaven, sits now at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus. He is the light of the world. Light. Moses saw that bush. He went to Pharaoh at God's command to tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel 
leave their bondage in Egypt and go out in the wilderness to worship. You know the story. Pharaoh hardened his heart many times and said, he at one time would say, all right, go. But he'd harden his heart and say, go after them, bring them back again. Miracles, plagues came upon the land. All kinds of afflictions and troubles and perplexities. Even one time, total darkness covered the land of Egypt. Total darkness that could be felt. No man moved. Three days this lasted. How could you? Total darkness. You could, no one could see another. So they had total inaction there for three days. But listen, in the houses of the children of Israel, there was light. God, by a miracle, extinguished the light over all the land of Egypt, but in the houses of the Israelites. It's about that way now. Darkness abounds everywhere. Immorality and decency, hard-heartedness. Things are changing, changing swiftly. On this radio station that we're broadcasting on today, you hear the announcers from time to time invite people to be sure to listen to KBDQ-FM. And they add the traditional Christmas music. They're inferring, at least, that it's the best place in town to hear the traditional songs of Christmas. And you gather by that that you don't hear it everywhere. You don't hear as much of the real meaning of Christmas as you once did. Commercialize. The merchants advertise their wares. They have many sales before Christmas now. All of this changes, but the real meaning of Christmas is that light has come. Jesus Christ is born. God comes in the form of man, cradled in Bethlehem's manger, born to live as a man, to die for our sins, to raise from the dead, but finally to be King of kings and Lord of lords. No wonder we say we worship Jesus He's the light. He's the life. Getting back to those Israelites. When they left, finally after all those plagues had run their course, the darkness had come, and finally the firstborn of each family were slain throughout all of Egypt, except those of Israel who had put the blood upon the doorposts and lintels of their house. If they had done what God said... If they had walked in the light that God gave them, remember Jesus said, if we follow him, we walk in light. So if they had done what God commanded, then they had the help and the mercy of God, and their firstborn was spared. But where the blood was not applied, the firstborn died that night. And finally Pharaoh let the children of Israel leave. And as they left, they came to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opened and made a passageway across for them on dry land. Three million people. Think of that. On the other side, God led them through the wilderness. They didn't know where to go. Which ravine shall they follow? Which mountains shall they try to cross? Go south, go north. How will we go? Who would know? God sent a 
cloud before them in the daytime, and at night that cloud turned into a pillar of fire, light, light to show them the way, cloud to shade them from the heat of the noonday sun, perhaps. To the Israelites, the cloud was darkness, but to the Israelites, it was God's protecting hand, God's direction, but light was there to show them the way. You and I have sat in darkness before, but now we sit in light. We have been foolish, bound by sin, degraded, demoralized by Satan's temptations and wiles. And we were gullible and yielded in temptation and sinned. So we were in darkness, but we came to know whom? Jesus Christ the light of the world. Someone said, Jesus loves you, died for you, will save you. We believe that message and move from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light by a miracle of God's grace, by a provision of His own making, and it worked to cause us to know that we had been made anew. The darkness fled away. For the darkness to flee... We only have to ignite the light. When the light shines, the darkness goes away. It's gone. But when the light goes out, the darkness takes over. And there's a warning in the Scripture about the man that has the light. And letting that light go out, how great is that darkness? The implication there being that it's more terrible than one could imagine. Yes, to walk in light is a great responsibility, a privilege indeed, if we walk in it, and an advantage, God's plan for us. God willed it that way. But the human race seems to be prone to let the light dwindle low and then walk in darkness. Before Martin Luther's day, the gospel message had waned in the forms and ceremonies and the actions of the religious world of the day then were very bad and they were very lax and very cold and indifferent. We call that the Dark Ages. But a fire began to burn in the heart of a man named Martin Luther. He had the light revealed to him that all of his penance, his ceremony would not do, that the just shall live by faith. That was like a spark coming alive in a man's breast, and he saw that vision, understood what it meant, and in that hour, grasped the premise that the just shall live by faith. He believed it and was a proponent of that doctrine and used of God in a mighty way to spread the light of the Reformation. Things were never the, never the same afterwards. After Martin Luther came to the light, it made a difference upon the face of all of Europe. And then from that day to this, it's made a difference around the world. What did make the difference? The light that dawned on that one man, a man that was bound by his tradition and by his doing it himself and trying to, to humble himself before God. He found that man must humble himself before God, all right, but that will not buy his salvation. Humble yourself before God, and God will accept of that and hear your prayer, justify you, make you a saint of God, make you ready for the call the Lord puts upon your life, and God did that for Martin Luther. Oh, what a story that was. The just shall live by faith. 
They were regenerated when they accepted the message that Luther and his workers that followed him preached. What happened? Revival spread across the land. The change was everywhere. I've seen great cathedrals in northern Europe that at one time were Catholic cathedrals, but they've been changed to Lutheran edifices now. Why? Because when Luther began to preach that, the Reformation fires caught caught on and the blaze of revival spread everywhere until the kingdom changed. Well, that was great. Later, closer to our time, a man named John Wesley appeared in England, even came to America to preach. What did he do? He took the message that Luther had preached and believed that and taught it and preached it all right. But he also had a light dawn on him that was broader and deeper than Luther's had. And he perceived that God, by an act of his own grace, by a second application of the blood, could be cleansed and made holy, purified, sanctified. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, a man who made his mark across Europe and across America and around the world. How'd that happen? He had that feeling. He had that awakening. He had that search in his soul that came to the place where the light dawned upon him that as he prayed and consecrated, holiness was not a theory, holiness only, but holiness could be a fact in his life. He preached that and gave himself for it, and the light spread. Many people across the face of the world believed and were saved as Luther preached it, and sanctified as John Wesley preached it. How'd this all happen? By God's enlightenment. By God revealing it to people. By them perceiving that God said it. And God meant it. It was for them. They believed it and received it. what they do? They went everywhere telling people, we have found it. Salvation. And now we've found it possibly sanctified as well. John Wesley's message. And about the turn of the century, in different parts of the country, as far as that's concerned, people of that wholeness persuasion were in the midst of revival and praying for a greater revival. A great revival had broken out in Wales. It became world famous how that people gave themselves simply to prayer. They just went to prayer and prayed and prayed. And God sent revival surging through their ranks, their churches, their country. God sent a great revival that had an effect upon America too when they heard that. And people here and there began to gather in certain places to pray. Hold on to God, prevail, fast and pray. And to expect the Lord to rekindle the fires that were evident in the early church. They read about it in the Bible. They knew about Luther and his message. They knew what John Wesley had said. But they also could read beyond the range of human experience so far. And they could see that that early church had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They wanted that. What is this? Light. Light revealed to people. And they, re- they accepted that light and prayed. And God sent that mighty revival. 
I'm getting ahead of my Friday night message, perhaps. We'll preach here on Friday night, too, on the anniversary of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But nevertheless, this is all a part of the message. You can't separate one part from the other. You can't preach one part of the gospel and leave one part out and have any gospel left. Take one word, take one passage, take one tittle out of the word of God, and you find that your name will be removed from the Lamb's book of life. So it's all one great message, all revealed of God to mankind, to people like you, to people like me. It isn't something that's all encased in the in the glory of the beautiful cathedrals of Europe or the other parts of the world. It isn't all hidden away somewhere in writings that are so deep and profound that the common man can never get to them. It used to be that way. But the Bible has been printed. The Bible has been spread everywhere. The truth has been disseminated to many people in many different ways. Now you hear it on the airwaves. You have access to plenty to read. Bibles are printed in many, many languages spread across the world. So the light has come. Now the problem, how to walk in that light. Can I and will I? The answer to can I is yes, because God provides the grace. His grace is sufficient. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll keep you as the apple of His eye. He can hold you in the hollow of His hand. He'll never let you be tempted above that you're able, but will, will with every temptation make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. So the answer is yes, you can. Now we come to the next. Will I? There's where the individual makes his own choice. And it isn't one choice forever only. You make that one choice to say, yes, I will, God, and I will from now on out. Then after that, you make all those choices to say, I will stick with my word. I will do what I said I'd do. I remember my vow, my promise. I'll walk in the light. Because if the light comes your way, then you'll be responsible for walking in that light. We have to remember that. We might be quick sometimes to judge someone else who hasn't had the same light we've had. Perhaps someone else doesn't understand as we understand. We can leave them in God's hands. Don't worry about the light someone else has, except gently and surely trying your best to spread the light. But you can't force their heart open to receive it. You can't hit them on the head and say, listen, I'm talking to you. That's not the way you do it. You have to let the Holy Spirit open the hearts and minds of the people. Even in Jesus' day, when they preached the gospel that he preached, and the apostles that followed under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yet, we heard have it said of some there, they preached, and some certain people whose heart the Lord opened. They received it. Others sitting there or standing there, hearing the same message, didn't have their hearts open, didn't receive it, didn't get the light. The light was shining, but for some reason, they didn't open their heart to the light. But we have the privilege of knowing we have all the light we need, all right. But we need the, the determination to walk in the light. How do we do this? We do this by obeying the Scriptures. If you know that the Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives. 
Are there ways to prove you're not walking in the light? Unkind words? Insulting and degrading remarks? Lack of interest and lack of respect? People do that. People who call themselves Christians forget the vows they made to love, honor, cherish, comfort, do all they can to be the husband they ought to be. So husbands who don't, who don't do right by their wives are not walking in the light. They aren't even saved. If they don't regard the vows they made as one of the most important contracts they'll ever make in the whole world, if they don't remember that and honor that, they make themselves transgressors, they go into darkness. Then they'll say, oh, it isn't my fault. She caused it. And the wives say the same thing if they're the transgressor. This light we're preaching this morning is not to disturb people and break up marriages. No, the light of the gospel causes people who are about to break up to reconcile and to, and to pray humbly ask forgiveness from both quarters most of the time. When the friction and troubles develop, many times there's two parties involved and there's two parties to blame to a great extent. Maybe not always, but many times there are. Well, it doesn't hurt us to be humble and pliable and willing to, to do anything we can to be sure that we keep our word. We said, until death do us part. We said this, didn't we? All right, that's just one facet. In business, do you keep your word? Are you shrewd? A little bit crooked? Do you keep your promises? Do you say, I'll do it and then do it? Or are you known for making promises and not keeping them? Is your, is your middle name that you promised or you said you would? And they know you won't. Oh, God help us. They that walk in the light are those who are kept by the power of God. And those who walk outside the light are on their own. God can't help you. God can't protect you unless you walk in the light. But the light's shining. To those who sat in darkness has the light appeared. The light to give you victory. To give you light in the face of Jesus Christ. The light doesn't cast shadows. Objects in the light do. To keep from casting a shadow, you must be transparent. You must be clear. You must be open. Otherwise, you might stand between someone and the Lord. The light doesn't cast the shadow. The opaque object, something that the light will not go through, something out of way, standing between that immortal soul and Jesus might be you. But if you're transparent, if you're open, if you're clear before God and before man, then the light shines and you are a reflector of the glory. You're able to pass it on. The light has shined in darkness. Oh, but many times people who even see the light don't comprehend it. But God would reveal it to them if we will let God do it. Today, have you seen the light? You know what it is to walk in the light? You know what it means when the man said here that people that walked in darkness have seen great light? They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Yes, they have heard the gospel, the whole gospel. They have believed it, received it, walked in it, humbly served God faithfully. When they've done this, they are then a recipient of the blessings God planned for all of us. Yes, the coming Christmas season speaks of Bethlehem of Jesus being born, 
the light of the world coming. He came, he lived, he died, he sits at the right hand of God now, and soon return to this earth again. Jesus, the light of the world. We honor him. We thank God for his son. We worship him at Christmas time, but now our obligation is, what do you do with the light? Walk in it to be saved, to be sanctified, to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, to keep things right in your own family, in your own life, your own business, to be sure it's all in light so that you can truly say you're in fellowship with God and that God loves you and keeps you by his own hand. We're going to close. We invite you to come to pray.